we're going to just jump in. We're in a sermon series that we we're calling Bless This Mess. And it's kind of built on this idea that relationships are messy, right? Like all types of relationships can just be messy. And, and the problem is, is we're all created a little bit different. So we have different passions. We have different ways of thinking. And, and so, you know, we have that idea that we're different. And then there's this other problem called sin. And all of us are sinners, like, we always have this bent to, to look out for ourselves. We always have this bent to seek our own interests above everybody else. This is our sinful nature. And so you throw that sinful nature on top of a relationship, and things kind of, kind, kind of get a little messy, if you know what we're, we're talking about. So we're in the series, and we're saying, God, God, since relationships are messy, God, would you, would you bless our mess? Would you look at the relationships around us, the relationships within our family, with our, with our parents, with our marriages, with our children, uh, with our friendships, with our business partners? God, would you take these relationships and would you bless this mess? Would you bless these relationships? So last week, we looked at the reality of how relationships can be a mess. Because we know that what God wants to bless, and I do believe God wants to bless our relationships, what God wants to bless, Satan wants to destroy and Satan wants nothing else than to see our relationships blown up to smithereens. And so we saw from Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, as they're building the walls, we saw that Nehemiah challenged the Israelites and he challenged us to fight for their families. To fight for those marriages, to fight for their kids, to fight for those relationships that matter most. That's what we looked at last week, that charge to fight for those relationships. Next week, we're going to look at, uh, God, would you bless the mess of parenting? And look and say, God, what can you teach us about this role of being a parent? And uh, then uh, the last week of the series, April 24th, we're going to look at conflict and say, God, would you bless our conflict? Would you give us some instruction so we know how we're supposed to have this conflict? Because conflict is a part of those relationships. But today, today we're going to look and say, God, would you bless the mess of marriage? There we go, right? The mess of marriage. How many, how many of you would say marriage can be messy at times? Okay. Let me just, I know we're in church and, uh, you know, especially if you have a lot of church background, uh, there's this idea in the church that the church is not a place you're supposed to be honest, you know? So you come to church and you dress up and you, you act like everything is good. There's a, there's a pastor in Las Vegas named Jude Wilhite. And he actually says that, that the church is kind of like the, the Christian prom, you know, where everybody dresses up and smiles and looks really good without acknowledging that there's, there's hardship around us. And so I'm, I'm going to ask you right now just to be honest as you start thinking about marriage and, and relationships. Let me ask you this, okay? Here's, here's your honesty, okay? How many of you would, would raise your hand and say, I have had an argument with my spouse in the last month? Okay, we'll just raise your hand and say, I had an argument with my spouse in the last month. Dan, Dan? poor Malia, poor, poor, poor Malia. I don't, don't mean to call you out, but I, I just did, you know. All right. Hey, notice my hand was up too. Okay, my hand was up too. All right. Go a little deeper. You know, how many of you had an argument with your spouse in the last week? All right. A little bit more. Okay, we have a few honest people here. That's good. I'm glad there's some honesty here. All right, how about this? Any of you, any of you have an argument on the way to church today? Like, like, no, like maybe for you, maybe it's like, it was like five minutes ago during worship. You know, we're singing, blessed be your name. And you're just thinking, blessed be my hand in the back of your head. You know, you're like looking for that. Like, let me get you, you know, Woo. marriage isn't perfect. And listen, if your marriage isn't perfect, let me welcome you to Restoration Church. Because let me tell you who we are. We, we are a bunch of imperfect people following a perfect God. That is who we are. And if you find yourself in that situation where you don't have the perfect life, man, welcome to Restoration Church. We're, we're, we're glad you're here because you are one of us. One of these other things I want to ask. As you start thinking about those, those, those arguments you have, how many times are those arguments over something really small? Like something really stupid, like trivial, like doesn't really have that big of a, not that big of a deal. You know, like, like it's, it's so true. Your spouse can tick you off like more than anybody else. 
You know, like your spouse can say the exact same thing to you as somebody else, but it just rubs you the wrong way and it just gets underneath your skin. So a couple, a week or so ago, uh, Samantha and I were talking and, and, uh, you know, we're talking about house and, and, and stuff. And she says, Hey, you know, this person, this person, you know, they don't pay a lot of attention to detail. You know, I don't know if I want them really doing much work, you know, remodeling of the house or whatever. And, 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 and I just got that look on my face and I'm like, what'd you say? So I got up out of bed and she goes, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to call my phone. I'm going to call that guy to come remodel my house right now, starting in the bedroom at 10 o'clock tonight. I was like, no way, for some reason, like that's just that little comment got under my skin and got my blood pressure raised through the roof. And, and, and it was a simple statement, but it just the way that sometimes our spouse can do that, they can just get under our skin more than anybody else. And it was the dumbest thing. It was the dumbest thing. And I feel dumb about that now. I'm kind of laughing at myself. So the challenge that we have is in marriage, it's very easy to fight in your marriage. It's very easy to fight in your marriage. It's a little bit harder to fight for your marriage. And that's where we want to be at today. Is help us to move from fighting in our marriage to fighting for our marriage. And as we talked about this sermon series, Bless This Mess, we said there's one key theme that applies to all relationships. That if we want God to bless our relationships, there's one key theme that we have to keep principle that we have to remember. And it was this. That our relationships will be blessed if we focus on our responsibilities instead of our rights. Our relationships will be blessed if we focus on our responsibilities instead of our rights. This is true of every relationship that you are in. Because when we focus on our rights, it's all about us. It's all about what I deserve. It's all about what you can do for me, what you should do for me. And we think it's all about number one. But listen, when we transition from thinking about ourselves to focusing on our responsibilities, now we're looking and saying, man, this is what God has called you and I to do. This is responsibilities that God has given us that are, doesn't matter if the other person is doing those. We have these responsibilities to be this type of person, to love people in this way, because God has called us and commanded us to live this way. It's all about humility. It's all about serving. It's all about sacrifice. So today, what we want to do is we want to learn about the responsibilities within marriage. Like, how do we, as a husband and a wife, how do we focus on our responsibilities in marriage? And so if you have a Bible, Restoration Church, we're Bible people. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, the book of Ephesians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, just uh, slip your hand up. We've got an usher in the back. He'll come and bring one of these Bibles to you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd encourage you to take that with you. Let that be uh, a gift to you. We've given out like 150 Bibles since we planted our church, which is an exciting thing to see God's word going out and about. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, a little background on Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was writing it to the church there at Ephesus. And uh, there's really no main purpose for that letter. There's no real reason why he wrote it, um, other than he wanted to encourage the Ephesians uh, in their calling uh, to unity as a body of Christ. And he wanted to encourage them to grow in their Christian maturity. Ephesians, I want you to, to grow in that maturity. And so in this specific section uh, in Ephesians, Paul is writing to them about how they're supposed to interact in certain relationships. Like as a, as a Christian, here's how we're supposed to interact in these specific relationships. And obviously one of these, uh, in verses 22 through 33, is dealing with marriage. So before we jump in to this passage, I want to do a couple things, kind of give you some ground rules for what today should look like. Number one, no elbows, okay? Because when we're talking about marriage, the temptation is to be sitting next to your spouse. And when I say something good to elbow, did you hear him? Did you hear him? Did you hear what he said? You need to do this and that. So just, if you're sitting by your spouse, just go ahead and elbow him right now. Just get it out of the way. You know, just get the elbow, get, get those flying, get them out of the way right now. <laughs> Listen, the goal for today is that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. The goal is not for you to do the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? And, and listen, if, if we sit and we get in the car and, and, and we start driving away and you say, hey, did you hear what he said you're supposed to do? Listen, that will ruin the work of the Holy Spirit in an instant, okay? So keep your elbows to yourself. And listen, hey, 
you might be married to a jerk. Like my wife is. I mean, let's just be honest. You might be married to a jerk. But listen, God is still calling you to do your part well. Okay? This isn't about your spouse. This is about you. Let God do the rest. Second thing, second ground, second background for today. If you are a single person here today, if you're a teenager, if you're a young person, uh, you might be tempted to check out. You might be thinking, well, today's about marriage. And since I'm not married, this doesn't really apply to me. And I can just check out and, you know, think about the Star Wars or thinking about the baseball game or whatever it happens to be. Listen, don't do that. Okay? Because as we're going to learn in just a minute, uh, marriage is an important picture of the gospel. It's a very important picture of how Jesus cares for us. And we need that. We need to be reminded of the love that God has for us. In addition, these principles in marriage, they're going to transfer to other relationships as well. These are still principles that will apply to you as you look at your relationships and your family, in your, in your workplace, with, with your friends, and whatever else. And finally, the third reason I want you to lean in if you're single or, 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 or a young person or whatever the case, is these become foundations for you. Foundations for your future. As you think about, well, maybe down the road, God would, would, would give you a spouse. This becomes a foundation for you that you could prepare now to be that kind of person then. This is an uh, opportunity for you to become, uh, to build on that proper foundation. So Ephesians chapter 5, uh, before we jump in, I'm going to ask you just to, to join me in prayer. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to open up your word. Uh, God, I'm thankful that we're at a church that doesn't really care about a pastor's opinion. We really want to hear from your word today. So God, I pray this we open up the book of Ephesians. God, I pray that you would give us understanding. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to, to lean in today, not to hear what somebody else needs to hear, but God, that you would speak to every one of us in here today. God, that you would help us to focus on our responsibilities. God, that you help us to build a proper foundation. God, I pray that you would speak to us and draw us to yourself. God, I pray that you would help us to remove the distractions out of our minds. God, we love you and praise you when we plead for your presence with us now. And if you agree with that prayer, amen. So before we get to our uh, responsibilities in marriage, we've got to have a, a proper uh, foundation first. We've got to understand first and foremost that there's a very specific purpose and a foundation behind marriage. Because we need to understand marriage is not a man-made institution. Like, like, like Adam and Eve didn't just decide, hey, we're going to go get married. No, God, in Genesis chapter 2, he established uh, create, or he created marriage in the very beginning of, of, of creation. He set it apart. This wasn't an afterthought. This was intentional. And there was a purpose behind marriage. So, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to skim through the whole passage, 22 to 33. And I want you just to listen and see if you hear this foundation. Verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything, in everything to their husbands. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water by the word, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves, uh, his, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And here he quotes from Genesis chapter 2, when God first created marriage, he says in verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This next verse here, this is the kicker. Regarding marriage, regarding the relationship between a husband and a wife, here's what Paul says. This mystery is profound. Anytime you see the Bible talking about mystery, it means something that was previously hidden, but in Christ it's been revealed. So here's what Paul says. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it 
being marriage refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, as you look at that passage, something I want you to understand. Marriage is not about you. Marriage is not about you. But how many of us live like that? How many of us live like marriage is all about me? It's all about my happiness. You know, we think, well, well, I want to be happy, so I'm going to get married. Listen, if you want to be happy, get a puppy, okay? It's just going to be much easier for you. Just get a puppy, and you'll be really happy with the puppy or a cat. I know some of you cat people. Get a kitten, you know? You'll be really happy with that, okay? Marriage, the design of marriage has nothing to do with your happiness, From the very foundation of marriage, from when marriage was instituted, when it was created, marriage was to be the ultimate picture of the gospel of God. Marriage was meant to be, uh, the marriage relationship, the roles of of the marriage, was meant to be a picture of how God loves his people. From the very beginning, marriage is not about us. It's about the gospel of God. It's about how he cares for us. Marriage is God's way of telling the world, hey, you want to know how I care about you? You want to know how I love you? Look at marriage because you'll see this is how I feel about the world. You'll see a picture of what the gospel looks like. And I want you just to sink, to let that sink in for a minute, okay? The whole idea of marriage is it is to be a picture of the gospel of Christ, of how he came and sacrificed himself for us. Wives, listen, you are a picture of the church to the world. You are a picture of the church to the world. That's what Ephesians 5 teaches us. Men, you are a picture of Christ to the world around us. This is Ephesians 5, very clearly laid out. This is an inescapable picture. Every marriage in this room paints that picture. Every marriage in Yakima, every marriage across the world, it paints this picture of the gospel. We don't choose whether our marriage reflects this or not. It is inescapable. Every marriage does. The question is not, are we giving the picture of the gospel in our marriage? The question is, what kind of picture are you really giving? This can be very challenging to us, as well as probably a little encouraging. It can be very challenging because we think, about, we think about wives and the responsibility on the wife to be a picture of how the church submits to Christ. Listen, wives, when you disrespect your husbands, you're showing the world that the church doesn't respect Christ. Ladies, if you sleep around, you are showing the world that Christ is not satisfying enough for the church. Ladies, if you don't follow your husband, you are showing the world that Christ is not worth following. Your marriage is a picture. What type of picture are you giving? Men, men, if you desert your wife, if you abandon her, listen, you are showing the picture to the world that Christ deserts his people, that he's not faithful to them. Listen, if you cheat on your, on, your, on your spouse, guys, if you cheat on your wife, you are showing the world that Christ is not faithful to his people, that he will leave them for something better of greener pastures. Men, if you ignore your wife, you are showing the world that Christ wants nothing to do with his people. Men, if you control your wife, if you become a tyrant, if you abuse your wife, That is the picture of Christ that you are giving to everybody around you. That God is a tyrant. That he's not a God of love. Do you realize what is at stake in our marriages? This is foundational for us. This is so important for us to understand. That the the glory of Christ and his people are bound up in the picture of marriage. And it's terrifying to think that across the church world, across my own marriage, that we are outright slandering the faithfulness of Jesus by the way that we approach marriage, by the way that we treat our spouse. 
we are slandering the gospel because of how we live in marriage and the way that we view marriage. Think about couples living together. You know, this isn't just a problem because God says, don't do this. But listen, when you're living together, what are you saying about Christ and the church? What is your picture saying about Christ and the church? That God's way isn't good enough? That sure, God has this idea, but I can do whatever I want. What picture is that showing to the world about the gospel and about Christ and about the church? This is a testimony that you are preaching, whether you realize it or not. Listen, marriage isn't optional. There's a reason why God instituted it and he put this picture in it. This is where it becomes challenging. It's because our relationship is giving a testimony to God and the church. On the other hand, I also find this to be very encouraging. And because I'm encouraging because I think about my role as a husband. I think about the responsibilities I have. Listen, you want to know how to love your wife? Men, you have an expert to look to. You have a Christ who became a perfect example. Jesus, he shows us how to love our wife. He tells us how to love our wife. His whole picture, his whole life is a picture of how we are to love our spouse. Gentlemen, we have an expert to learn from and to follow and and, and to gain insight from. Wives, be encouraged that just as God designed the church to be satisfied wholly by Jesus. Listen, wives, God's designed satisfaction for you as well in that marriage. Listen, I know when we start dealing with the topic of, of marriage, this, this can be a sensitive issue. I mean, I want to just be realized that there are many circumstances represented in this room. There's been some brokenness in, in lives. There's been divorce. There's been hard things. Listen, you can't undo some of those things of a past. But let me encourage you, as you think about that past, that brokenness, you have to look at your past redemptively. You have to look at your past in light of God's grace. Because God's grace, it covers your past. All that brokenness, all the, all the stuff that's happened in the past, listen, God's grace covers your past. Praise God for that. Praise God that his grace covers our past. But listen, his grace doesn't just cover our past, but it, it also empowers our present. When we understand what is at stake in our marriage, that it is a picture of Christ in the church. God has promised to enable us, to enable our marriage to be this picture, to represent Christ in the church well. This is why I would say that God is highly invested in your marriage. God is highly invested in our marriages because of what's at stake. Because of the testimony that our marriage tells the world around us. Listen, this means, this means you have everything you need to have that kind of marriage that God has called us to. You have, you have divine resources out of heaven at your disposal for us to live this way because of what is at stake. God's not going to leave us alone in those marriage, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. God's grace is available for us. See, I think the only way that we accomplish uh, that marriage that, that, that Ephesians 5 talks about, that is a picture of how Christ loves the church. I think the only way that, that this is accomplished is, is that it drives us to Christ. That we realize we can't do this on our own. See, you, me, your spouse, everyone in here, we're, we're sinful and broken people. And we approach marriage and we still have that brokenness and that sinfulness. And the solution to our marriage is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we need the gospel to save us from our sin. I mean, every one of us would say the only way we get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. We need the gospel to save us, but we also need the gospel to empower us, to enable us, to help us to, to live this way even when we don't feel like we can. That's what the gospel does. It gives us power for today. See, I think the only way that our marriage can be an accurate picture of Christ in the church is through Jesus. 
Jesus is the only way. Jesus is enough in your life. Jesus is enough in your marriage. The only way that our marriages are going to reflect Christ and his church is if we keep Jesus at the center of it. That's our foundation. That's our foundation of marriage. Before we can get to those responsibilities, we've got to have that foundation set of what marriage is. It is a picture of Christ in the church. And with that foundation, now we can begin to look at the responsibilities within marriage. Now, last week, last week I spoke to men. I kind of called men out. And I said, men, you're supposed to lead in your homes. And I, and I called men out and I said, men, I want you to pray with your wives this week. I want you to pray with your families. Any husbands take that challenge last week? I did. I had a few good days. I had a few bad days. I'll be honest. That's just the way it works. Okay. But I want to be an equal opportunity uh, uh, employer. And so, ladies, I'm going to pick on you for a few minutes right now. Okay? Last week, we picked on the men. Take a few minutes for the ladies. Your responsibilities, ladies. Ephesians 5, verse 22. says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of uh, the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives, your first responsibility in marriage is to submit to your husband. Just as, as the church submits to Christ. This is very clear in this text. The Bible is very clear. that, In fact, the Bible is consistent. There's three other times. Uh, 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 Colossians 3.18, 1 Peter 3.1, Titus 2.4. That say the same thing. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. Now listen, when we deal with that idea of wives submitting, uh, it's been abused in the past. People have taken it and taken that to mean something completely different than what the Bible, what the Bible teaches. Some people will say, well, submitting to your husband means that you have to, as a woman, you have to adapt to your husband's career goals. You have to adapt to his interests. You have to adapt to his quirks. And you just have to follow him without ever objectifying anything. In fact, there was one uh, marriage author and, and conference speaker in Christian conferences, and he would speak on marriage and say, wives, you are to submit to your husbands and follow him. Even if he goes into sin, you're just to blindly follow and submit to him because he's the leader and you let God worry about him leading you into sin. Okay. So this idea of submission has been a little bit abused in, in, in church world. And so when we look at submission, I want us to get a biblical view of what submission really is. Not just specifically about wives and husbands, but, but what is biblical submission as a whole? Because in fact, if you look through the Bible, there's three different times that the Bible talks about all of us as Christians are supposed to, supposed to submit to three certain things. Okay? Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. I'm not going to read these verses because of time. If you want to write these down, you can read those a little bit later. Romans 13 verses 1 and 2 says, all Christians, we are to submit to the governing authorities. This is what it says. We're supposed to submit to those governing authorities. It is well for us and we'll be judged if we don't submit to those authorities. Okay, so we're supposed to submit to our government authorities. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17. It says, Christians are supposed to submit to their church leaders, submit to their spiritual authorities. Anybody ever seen an unhealthy church leader before? A few of us. Listen, this is what it says. Ephesians 5.21, verse right before our text. It says, submit to fellow Christians. Okay, so this is what we're called to do. We're supposed to submit to the governing authorities. We're supposed to submit to church leaders. We're supposed to submit to fellow Christians. Listen, listen. Does this mean that if we're in Germany, that we have to follow Hitler? Does this mean that if we were in Iraq, that we would have to do whatever ISIS tells us to do? No, I don't think that's what God would be talking about here. I mean, does, any, does anybody ever do everything I say to do? <laughs> you keep laughing. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying there. Ephesians 5.21, submit to all the Christians. Do you ever do everything? Do you do everything somebody tells you to do? Listen, we're not talking about blind obedience. Submission does not mean blind obedience. And listen, I want us to understand that submission as a wife to a husband is not different than any other submission. 
It's not different than how we submit to government authorities. It's not different than how we submit to spiritual leaders. It's not any different than how we submit to other Christians. I mean, the Bible has all sorts of stories about submission and about times that we don't submit. Daniel, Daniel, he was told, you're going to pray to the king. And Daniel said, no, I can't do that. I can only pray to my God. And Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because of that. Listen, God took care of him. God blessed him for disobeying his leader. Acts 4, 18 through 20. Peter and John, they're arrested and they're charged. Hey, I don't want you to ever preach about Jesus again. And so that was it, right? Peter and John never preached again, right? No. They continued preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Paul is teaching. He's teaching uh, and, and preaching. He's writing the Bible. I mean, this is what Paul did. Paul's preaching and teaching. And it says that the people examined what was taught according to God's word. They took what was being taught and they said, hey, is this what God, God's word can, would, would say as well? So listen, when we start talking about wife submitting to her husband, we want it to be consistent with what the Bible teaches about submission. So I would say when we're talking about submission, biblical submission, this is the definition. is to yield to the love and the edification that an authority has for you. Not to yield to the power, not to yield to the force, but to yield to the love, to yield to the drawing in. Submission is us saying, you know, I trust that you are leading me to a better place. Ladies, how leadable are you? How trusting are you? How following are you? I want to be clear, ladies. Position does not determine value. Position does not determine value. We, we, we have this complementarian theology that says we are all equal. Men and women, we're all equal, but we're still created a little bit different. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you've got a right hand and a left hand. And, and, and my right hand does certain things and my left hand does certain things. I mean, I mean, I've, my son is a left-handed, uh, left-handed. I'm right-handed on everything, okay? So I'm trying to teach my son how to play baseball, okay? Now, I can catch with my left hand. That's what you do. You put your glove in your left hand. That's easy. You try and flip that around and put your glove on the right hand. That's hard. Like, like, like that's hard to do. I mean, try throwing a baseball with your left hand. I mean, it just, now, you people that are ambidextrous, you guys drive me crazy. And it just totally ruins this analogy. But you understand the idea that you have a right hand and left hand and they have very specific purposes and intents and they do different things and they complement each other well. Listen, you see this idea, the same thing about, uh, about your position is not different your value. In the Trinity, you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if you remember in Scripture, Jesus constantly surrendered to God the Father. Even though we know Jesus is equal, Jesus is equal, all being God, he just had a different role. And so Jesus would pray and say, my, my desire is to do the will of my Father. They were equal, yet Jesus is under authority. This is about headship, not dictatorship. Ladies, your first responsibility is to submit to your husband. Your second responsibility is to respect your husband. Verse 33. In our text, it says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives, you are to respect your husband. Wives, do you realize this is probably your husband's greatest need? Women, we think about, uh, women, we, <laughs> women, you think about love. You think about, well, I'm just loving him. No, your husband's greatest need is respect. That is what he needs. Women, women need love. And we'll, we'll, we'll be there soon. We'll, we'll get there. We'll talk about that. Men need respect. Listen, for women, it's much easier for a woman to give love. Because, like, that's what she needs. She needs love. And so for her, it makes sense. I'm just going to love my husband well. But listen, ladies, your man needs respect. He needs to be built up. He needs to be told that he can do it. He needs to be told that you believe in him. He needs to be told, you got this. You got this. You can do this. Ladies, it's not, it's not enough for you to say, well, well, he knows. He just knows. I told him once. He knows I respect him. Well, it's kind of like, like, well, 
you know, your husband, would it work if he said, I love you on the altar on the wedding day and never said it to you again? Would that work? No. And, and we'll, we'll get to this. Men, we have short memories. Like we, we constantly have to be reaffirmed and told again and again and again. I respect you. I respect you. I believe in you. You got this. Ladies, this doesn't mean that you have to ignore his flaws. It just means you don't bring, that, bring them up constantly, right? So Solomon. Solomon was probably the wisest person in all the earth who ever lived other than Jesus, okay? And the story goes that he, he probably had like some 300 wives. So he probably learned a thing or two about wives and, and marriage. And, 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 and this is what he says about a wife that I would say disrespects her husband. Proverbs 21 verse 9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Straight out of the Bible. Any, any, any housetop dwellers? Any corner dwellers? Don't raise your hand. That'd be really bad for you right now. Proverbs 21 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful wife. Proverbs 27, you can't make this stuff up, right? Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike, okay? That can, isn't that what they do with, with, with like terrorist subjects? They just drop water constantly to, to just drive you crazy until you go crazy? <laughs> listen, the, we're having some fun with this, but listen, ladies, do you understand how much your husband needs to know that you believe in him? Needs to know you got this. I respect you. Needs to know that you believe in him. Needs to know that you trust in him. Ladies, you set the pattern for how your husband is going to be respected. You set the pattern for how your husband is respected. Because your kids are going to emulate that same pattern. Your family, his in-laws, will emulate that same pattern for how you respect your husband. So if you go around disrespecting and talking bad about his back, guess what your kids are going to do? Guess what your family is going to do? The same thing. And listen, listen, I know, ladies, sometimes it's easy when you have a problem with your husband to go and and, and call your girlfriend and and say, oh, I'm just going to complain about my husband. And then when you go home and you you get over it. But listen, your, your friend doesn't get over it. She doesn't have that opportunity. And whatever you complained and, and, and did whatever about, that's going to linger in her heart towards your husband because of that disrespect. Ladies, your level of respect for your husband will, will be, term, be determined by two things. Number one, how you talk to him. And number two, how you talk about him. That's just truth. That's just truth. Wives, your responsibilities. Submit to your husband and respect your husband. The guys are feeling really good right now, like, yeah, preach it. Equal opportunity right here. Let's flip it around. Gentlemen, your turn. It's going to get heavy. Get ready to cry. Men's first responsibility. Men, we're supposed to sacrifice ourselves as Christ sacrificed for the church. Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It says, he gave himself up for her. Now, as a man, we read that and we think, oh, that's like secret service, you know? Like, like sure, that's easy. I mean, if, if Darth Maul comes up with a lightsaber, I'll grab a lightsaber and I'll gladly fight Darth Maul. You know, I'll go, I'll go to town for my wife. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I think this is talking about something a little different than that. I don't think this is jumping in front of a bus for your wife, although you should do that. I would recommend that. When Paul says that husband is ahead of the wife, we, we think this is an opportunity as men to dominate, to do what we want to do, and she just has to follow. And this is where our culture has this machismo idea. And men, we want to defend ourselves. We want to assert ourselves. We want to build ourselves up. We want to take our throne and say, I'm the king of this house. Listen, the Bible very clearly 
that the way that Christ loved the church is he gave himself up for her. Philippians 2, we looked at this last week, verses 4 through 8. says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the mind that Jesus had. He said, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Man, the way you give yourself up for your, give your life up for your wife is becoming self-sacrificing. You put others' interests over your own. You put your wife's interests over your own. You become a servant to your spouse. This is the example that Jesus gave. Jesus' leadership was always to put the needs and the interests of others before himself. Husbands, this is your responsibility in your home, is to put your wife's needs and interests above your own. Not to be self-seeking, not to have your own agenda. This is, this is the core thing that men, we are called to do. You start thinking, well, well, Jesus, think about the example that Jesus gave to us. He was self-sacrificing. It says he gave up his identity. He gave up his identity and came into our world. Like he was up in heaven. He gave up his heaven to come down to our stable. He gave up his heaven to come down to, to us. Man, we think I want to build my heaven. I want to have this, this, this wonderful life. And I want my wife to come up and support me and to follow me and to let me do what I want to do. But listen, the example from Christ is that we leave our heaven. We leave our throne and we go down to her stable. So here's what it looks like, gentlemen. It means that when we have these ideas, we're going to go to Cabela's. We're going to go get some, some firearms. We're going to get some fishing rods. And we're going to go up to the mountains and have some fun. We leave that behind and say, sure, honey, I'll go to Target with you. Sure, honey, we can go look at pillows and, and decorations and mirrors. And this is my life. I'm just preaching to myself. Ah! This is what it means for us to sacrifice and to leave our heaven to come down to their stable. Men, you have a throne. It's probably made out of porcelain. And you got to remember to put the seat down. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> oh, boy. We think about the example that Jesus set for us. Jesus set the example that he made the first step towards reconciliation. Did he not? See, men, we aren't going to wait for her when there's a conflict. When, when, when there's a fight, we aren't going to wait for her to come and make things right. We're not going to say, well, it takes two. It takes two to fight. And I'm not, you know, I'm only responsible for this little bit. No, if we're commanded to love as Jesus loved, then Jesus went towards us when we were his enemies. We were sinning against him. In fact, we never even wanted to seek after God. We weren't looking for reconciliation, yet he came and sought us out. Men, this is your responsibility. Let me tell you what, men. No woman wants to submit to a dictator. But I'll, I'll promise you that virtually, virtually every woman in this room, virtually every woman across the world, would submit to a man who... 100% of the time has her needs and her interests first. They will submit to you every time because you're looking out for them above yourself. So men, you're called to sacrifice yourself for your wife. And then the second thing you're called to do is you're called to love your wife. Verse 25, love your wife. Verse 28, and this way, husbands should love their wives. Verse, verse uh, 28, he who loves his wife loves himself. In verse 33, however, each one of you love his wife as himself. Six times in these eight verses, we see this word love. And five out of those six times, men, love your spouse. Love your spouse. 
It's like, men, we need to hear it over and over and over again. Love your wife. And love isn't, love isn't a feeling. Like when it talks about love here, it's talking about an action. It's talking about a choice. It's not just a feeling. How do we do this? How do we, how do we love our spouses? You know, it seems difficult. You know, how do, we, how do we love? There's several ways that we can look at this passage, but I want to look at just one. It's to do it unselfishly. We're supposed to love our spouse unselfishly, just like Jesus. Self-sacrificing love isn't based on what you get in return. Like men, like everything we do, we do because there's going to be a return on our investment. We invest into an area because we want a return on it. We go to work because we want a paycheck. We, we pay our bill, we pay our power bill because we want the lights to be turned on. We, we, we put things out for things to come back. Listen, unselfish love isn't about what you get in return. Like, gentlemen, aren't you glad that God doesn't love us based on what we bring to the table? Like, aren't you glad for that? Based on your actions, that God loves you anyways? And this is the same thing with your wife. Man, there might have been some amazing characteristics about your wife that drew you to her when you were first dating and when you're getting ready to be married. And sometimes those charming characteristics, they kind of rub off the longer you're married. And they don't become as appealing. Listen, your love for your spouse and my love for my spouse is never to be based on positive characteristics. Our love for our spouse is never based on what she brings to the table. Back verses 28 and 29 says, love your wives how you love your body. Now you look at this. This is 166 pounds of sexiness right here, right? (laughs) The thing I've learned, the older I get, the bigger my waist is. And the bigger my forehead keeps growing. Like, like, Like this used to look better. It used to feel better. I used to wake up in the morning and not go, ah, like, like, there was a day when it was better, but listen, I still take care of it. I still nourish it. I still feed it. I still wash it. I still prioritize it. I still shave every once in a while. I mean, I still do these things. And listen, this body isn't all it once was, but I still care for it. This is a picture for your wife. Listen, Tony Evans, who's a pastor, he had this quote that I thought was really good. It says, the countenance of your wife is like a mirror reflecting back to the kind of husband you are to her right now. That burns. That burns. Men, you are responsible. And men, this means that if there is problems in your marriage, that you step up to the plate. You take that responsibility. Not by dominating Not by saying, hey, I'm in charge. I'll take control over this. No, you step up to the plate. You take this responsibility by sacrificing your life for your spouse. This is how Christ made the church holy and beautiful and lovely by sacrificing himself for it. Amen. It's time you step up. It's time you take responsibility for what God has entrusted to you. I mean, we, we, we look at this idea about, 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 cry, about men being the head of the home and, and women's submission. We make jokes about it all the time. Listen, it's time to stop making jokes. Because this picture of being the head of our home, it should cause us to tremble with fear before God, before our spouse, because of what that picture represents. So let me give you just a couple closing thoughts as we wrap this up. Listen, ladies, if you're sitting there saying, man, my husband, pastor, you just don't understand. My husband isn't worthy of of respect. Pastor, you don't understand. My wife, she's so hard to love. Listen, don't buy into our uh, cultural philosophy of marriage. Our cultural philosophy says that that my love, my respect is based on what they do for me and whether or not they are, are worthy of my love and respect. Listen, that's not God's view. God's view of marriage is that, ladies, you respect your husband not based on his performance. You respect your husband based on Christ's performance in you. Men, 
You love your wife not based on how worthy she is of your love, but you love your wife based on Christ's love for you. This is where we talk about our responsibilities instead of our rights. It's a very simple practical application for you. Men, here's your practical application. Men, your responsibility, outserve your wife. Outserve your wife. This is God's commandment for you. This is God's calling in your marriage. Outserve your wife. It's not just, it's not about what's best for you, it's about what's best for them. And man, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I cannot serve my wife. I'll serve her and I'll buy her a vacuum because that's what she need, really needs, right? Listen, listen, listen. Here's my challenge to you. Go home today and say, honey, how could I outserve you? How could I serve you better? Because I promise you, she's going to surprise you with her response. Chances are it'll surprise you. Man, this is your challenge. Outserve your spouse. Make this a part of your prayer life. Say, God, God, would you help me to outserve my wife? God, would you help me to do this? And ladies, ladies, do you understand the tremendous responsibility that's on your husband? Listen, you have got to believe in him. You've got to believe in him. This is where you run to Christ and you pray and you say, God, God, please Help my husband. Because honestly, us husbands, we can't lead like this unless Christ has done the work for us in him. So ladies, pray for your husbands. Pray for the opportunities to bring up those issues. But more importantly, wives, be vocal in encouraging your husbands for the areas they are leading. Build him up. Encourage him. He needs it. Listen, as we come to a close, I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes and bow your heads for me for just a moment. Restoration Church, the way we're designed is we have a couple songs of response, an opportunity to respond to God's word today. And, and listen, if you're a husband and a wife in here today, my encouragement to you is to take your spouse's hand. You can come to the front. You can stay where you are. And just pray together in light of Ephesians chapter 5. Pray together in light of God's design for marriage. Man, if you need to repent, if you need to say, I'm sorry, take this opportunity. Make things right. Confess. Promise before your spouse. Promise before God. Promise I'm going to love you the way I'm supposed to. Promise I'm going to respect you the way that you need. Listen, if you're single in here today, take this time to pray for the couples around you. Pray that God would strengthen them, would build them. Pray for your future spouse. Pray that God would help you to prioritize your responsibilities instead of your rights now. Listen, kids, students in here, listen, pray for your parents. Pray for their marriage. They need it. Listen, messages like this, sometimes they can uncover hurt. Listen, if that's you and you say, man, I just need someone to pray for me, I'll be up front. I'd love to have the opportunity to just pray for you, encourage you, remind you that God's grace covers our past, empowers our present and our future. God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to, to, to hear your design for marriage. God, I pray that you help us all to be challenged today. To walk out of here resolved. To be the husband that you're calling us to be. To be the wife that you're calling us to be. To be the man and woman that you're calling us to be. That these characteristics of love and respect, submit and sacrifice, that these are the words that would be characterized of us. In our marriages, in our homes, in our families, in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for being with us now. We ask for your presence on us as we respond to your word, and we ask this in your name. Amen.